And just like that, we're live. Hello, everybody. And welcome back to Season 2, Episode 2 of History's Greatest Idiots, the show in which we look back through the history, history's corridors and uh -huh. we pick out, we cherry-pick idiots <laughs> from all throughout history to uh, hopefully give you lessons that you can learn from and never repeat their mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. We, we enjoy making mistakes. It's fun. And also comical material for us. Joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing? How's your week been? Uh, it's been pretty good. Uh, busy. Good. What not? The baseball's getting ready to start back up. So yes, my son's done with his physical therapy and rehabbing and got a little live action in a scrimmage yesterday. Did pretty Excellent. decent. Gave up no runs. So Nice. Good. I'm excited to see him back and excited. Yes. Um, so how long has the rehab been? That, that's That's been a bit of time, hasn't it? Gosh, I think since like August even. Oh, <laughs> it's wow. Been, it's been a minute. So, yeah, man. Uh, I bet uh, he was itching to go to get yeah. back out on the mound. You know? you know, I felt like he was kind of losing steam. But okay. this last week or so, he's just been back to himself and ready to, ready to go kick ass. So Good for him. We like we like that kind of enthusiasm. That's that's really good. And it's it's never fun having an injury when you're that age. Like I remember when I was 17, um, I tore both my Achilles tendons. <sighs> um, I know it was fucking horrible. I was playing football, soccer, um, and I was it was the height of summer. Like we were just I was coming into my last year in high school and my senior year, and um, I was playing with friends on this pitch, and it was bone dry this pitch and like the day before i had really badly twisted my ankle but you know i was 17 you just like uh, at that point in time we were playing soccer for like eight hours a day and then we were going out drinking Lord. in the night and then playing soccer <laughs> the next day and then, you know the, the shit you can do when you're a kid um, yeah so i was i was playing soccer and i heard like that Ugh, gross and i i tumbled over <laughs> i i like rolled because i was going full full pelt and like I kind of got up and I went, did you just throw a rock at the back of my leg to my friends? And they were like, no, you tripped over your own foot, you fucking clumsy bastard. Anyway, what <laughs> happened was it was my tendon snapping. Uh -huh. And that's what I heard. I know. And I um, it was in excruciating pain. They were like, look, we need to take you home. You're not right. So I got home. And at the time I was studying sports science in school. And I said to my mother, who worked in the NHS as like a, a, a very powerful up person in the NHS, I was like, I think I've torn something. And she was like, oh, don't be ridiculous. Get in. Just just shut up and get in the bath. You'll be fine. There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> I carried on walking on it for 20 days. And oh. one day I was wearing shorts and they noticed like this little pea-sized ball at the back of my calf. And went to the doctor and the doctor's like yeah you've torn your achilles tendon it's gone all the way at the back of your calf and he just looked at my mother and went why the fuck didn't you see this good lord she was like oh God. <laughs> so yeah and then while i was recovering from that the other one got slightly injured as well so that was pain i know what like long-term injuries when you are that age are like and it is it's so frustrating because you yeah. like you, i was learning to drive at the time like you can't learn to drive you can't really involve yourself in sports you can't really go out it just blows everything out of the water uh, you yeah. can't even hardly walk like yeah don't you have to have one of those little kneel scooter things and just I, zoom around I, on that 
we went to a, a giant mall when I was uh, at that point in the summer and uh, just to buy stuff in the sales. And I had to have a wheelchair. And oh, I can remember like, you know, 17 years old, it would have been 1998. I can remember the looks I used to get from people back in the late 90s when they saw someone in a wheelchair. It was like it hadn't quite gotten to the point where people were overly like, oh, let me help you. You know, like where people would condescend to people in wheelchairs, they would just stare at this point yeah. in time. So that was something that took a little bit of time getting used to. But yeah. Anyway, I'm glad your son's back to scrimmage. Sorry to freak you yeah. out with the torn no, tenders story. I, I went straight for the theater of the mind on that one. And I was <laughs> feeling it and seeing it. It, it, it hurt. It it hurt. Uh... Not as bad as Crohn's disease. But it hurt. <laughs> yeah. Crohn's disease is a motherfucker, let me tell you. Anyway, um, away from that. Everything's good at this end. We now have almost completed extension on my house. You guys are doing good over in Arizona. We're in season two. We have episode two. There's still plenty of people we can cover. And I would like to know, Derek, who is your idiot for this episode? Okay, well... I'm kind of excited about this one because the last episode we both covered people that forgot where they came from and yes. turned into total dicks, like kind of self-loathing projected by them onto the world around them of them. Yeah, right? absolutely. You know? Yeah, that was definitely the theme for last episode. Self-hatred. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Jewish Nazi and the son of immigrants that hates immigrants. Yeah, so weird. Well, that conversation, as well as a show I was watching on Paramount Plus, that was it's like uh, Indivisible Healing Hate with that Mandy oh. Patinkin. Oh, cool! Oh, yeah, and and yeah, I I've heard of the I've not heard of the show. I know Mandy Patinkin. I know that he has issues around rage as well in his past. So okay. that's kind of cool. Yeah, but oh, I didn't know that was a show. But okay, carry on, please. So so there. There, that show deals with like the divide that's going on in the United States, and it touches on some some like similar subject matter to the people that we covered. Right. And it was covering a bit on Aryan Nations and Richard mm. Butler. Yeah. And how that was kind of related to or could have been related to, in a way, the the events that took place on January 6th. Sure. Yeah, obviously. And it's all related to like this deep, bubbling hatred underneath the surface of the American culture that's kind of been there since cent for, for centuries. Yeah, I mean, sadly. Um, the guy I have for you today is a stellar example of how one person can influence hate and guide it, kind of like the Ghostbusters did with that hate goo that was bubbling underneath there. <laughs> yes. Only he, he didn't do it in a good way, and there was no, like, uh, happy dancing pink goo and... Uh, <laughs> No Statue of Liberty. Statue of Liberty, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His was totally shitty. <laughs> right, okay, that's, yeah, okay, that's um, typically what happens with hate. Hopefully the story, I, I cover it in a way that sheds some light onto some of the darkness and helps folks recognize the path before they wander down it and escalate yeah. it to hate. He, uh, the gentleman was born, I'm not calling him a gentleman, and I'm not using his name until the end just because... Fuck him. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, he's born on September 11th, 1933. September the 11th. Wow. Which is it's a weird thing. And it wandered me down uh, like a <laughs> rabbit hole because September 11th has got that hate mm -hmm. terrorism thing. And this guy's yeah. got like a hate terrorism -y vibe and is super anti-Semitic and 
I mean, Osama bin Laden was kind of anti-Semitic, but oh, anti-everybody yeah. that wasn't yeah. Saudi, I guess, or Muslim. Yeah, pretty um, much, yeah. Or even anyway, sex of Muslims, but yeah. Yeah. Dick. <laughs> anyway, this guy, I kind of wondered if they were related, but I, I wandered down a rabbit hole and found nothing. <laughs> and uh, anyway, he was born in Atlanta, Georgia, to a Presbyterian family of English and Scot-Irish descent. Oh, and his family was well connected to the old South aristocracy uh, on his mother's side. Rice, rice. Uh, she she was the descendant, and I guess that made him the descendant of Thomas H. Watts, who was the governor of Alabama and the attorney general of the Confederate States of America. Wow. OK, big coincidence and, coming up with my guy. But uh, yeah. OK. See, Couple, I actually. have no idea. Like, I guess those are... Uh, I didn't know that was a position. That... Yeah, they they had a whole like, uh, what would you say, Congress or Council of people that were appointed in the Confederate States. Like, it's just that we we hear about the Civil War, don't right. we? we? Hear about the schisms and all of that, but we don't necessarily hear about the structures that the South were forming for their own Confederate government. So it's not something they... that you is really focused on. They felt super legit in their overthrow attempts, I believe. Yeah. And maybe it was that side of the family that influenced this guy here. And it, it's possible because at the age of 10, his father was killed in a car accident. And that's oh, 1943. Wow. Right. And after his, after his dad's death, they moved to Montgomery, Alabama, and eventually ended up in Dallas, Texas. Mm. And while I was looking into his early history to find out more about uh, that part of his life after his father's death, it steered me to a book titled The Fame of a Dead Man's Deeds, and it's a biographical look at the life's work of this guy. Right. And holy shit, that, um, that research kind of took me down another rabbit hole, and it was scary to think about because the, that title, when you search it, brought me to Amazon, and it brought me a whole suggestion and a slew of neo-Nazi white supremacist literature what? available to purchase. On Amazon, um, yeah. Oh man, and I oh, mean, that is I guess dark. free speech and everything like that. But yeah, it's a click, 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 and you're all of a sudden yeah. somewhere weird. So that I was is, kind of wow. like terrified a little bit. Yeah, you might have ended up <laughs> on a watch list because of Amazon. Thanks, guys. Uh, wow. I hope not. I, yeah, I'm not looking at it that way. It's very, <laughs> no. A different no. way that I'm looking yeah. at it. Um, that's that's really weird. Sorry. Carry on. Wow. But it's the new age of the self-publishing yeah, yeah. that's available. That's, that's kind of, that. yeah, it's it's led to like a lot of that type of writing getting, getting out to a, a wider audience a whole lot yeah. quicker than back in the day. And I, I can't help yeah. feeling like uh, most of us came up with a sense that books are good and yes. reading is good and information mm. is good. And so we created like a dangerous sense of, well, I'm reading it in a book, so it's got to be true. It's got to be true or right or worthy. worthy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when you can wander along and find books that are just some shit somebody made up, sold somewhere, yeah. put out on their own because they had 150 bucks and, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it's weird, but it, it slides you in. It slides you into that bubbling blue brew of hate without you even paying attention to like what the hell's going on, I think. Cause yeah, no wonder people are so easily radicalized if shit like that's available. You know? Yeah, and I want to clarify that I'm not anti-Semitic or racist no. in any way. I, no. I, 
we neither we, of us are. Like... Neither of us would work <laughs> with each other if we had any of those sentiments in our system. I think we'd have spotted that quite quickly. I, I, I think. think so. Yeah. I'm just I'm saying though I did wander down that path and end up looking at and reading stuff that I'm like, holy shit, why does this exist? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to uh, you know sometimes you have to look into stuff like that um, to kind of understand where these people have gone wrong. You can spot the the moments where they're like they've gone off piste in terms of you know proper thought patterns and just gone straight down hate. Right. You know? So, and and it's similar with the racism and, and like neo Nazi recruitment and nations to yeah. cults. Sure. Very, very similar. They have similar recruiting and, and growth tactics and they find people yeah. that are feeling low or lost or alone and yeah. they try to get a message that resonates with them. And sometimes mm -hmm. uh, they do a message that resonates with like centrists and not extremist type people, yes. but everybody as well. And just guide them slow into it. And before they know it, they're like, Oh man, I didn't know all of this information existed. I can't believe that those people did that. You know what I yes. mean? Yes. And yeah, you're like, exactly. Holy shit. <laughs> and the mainstream media are trying to repress it because it's, it's, they, they don't want you thinking and they don't want you questioning and actually no. They don't know it's out there a lot of the time. And also, you know, why would they bother? It's just hate speech. They, they're they not going to, you know, fucking out. Right. But, um, yeah, no, it the, the whole research into it creeped me yeah. out, made me uncomfortable, I'm and surprised. kind of bummed me out that there's a shit ton of our fellow humans out there that kind of mm -hmm. suck. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah. In their mindset. Yeah. yeah. They've taken and, the easy path of going after their baser, hate-filled urges when actually if you spend the time to look at a situation the truth resists simplicity like it's never as straightforward as them and us and that's it you know right so, yeah, yeah exactly and i was gonna say i'm not judging by it, but but i am so stop hate and we win <laughs> yeah please um, stop being bastards <laughs> yeah. um anyway back to the story i wandered yeah. off again uh, despite the setback of losing uh, his parent early on, he did really great in school. He actually skipped a grade and ended up graduating a year early wow. from Allen Military Academy in Bryan, Texas in 1951. Okay. And as a teenager, he had hobbies and interests that were model rockets and chemistry and radios and electronics and very typical. Yeah, like <laughs> typical 1950s boys stuff you know that's that's all kind of running the mill also impressive that he skipped a grade this is you know kind of an impressive guy, uh, kid at it this gets point. more impressive before it gets worse because oh. the hobbies guided him in his education and he earned a scholarship to attend rice university in houston where he graduated nice. in 1955 with a bachelor's degree in physics wow that's incredible well done, this guy. This it guy. gets better. After Rice, he went on and worked at the Los Alamos National Laboratory, laboratory mm -hmm. which is like uh, space and rockets and whatnot. Wow. Uh, and then he went on to uh, his graduate school, initially at Caltech from 1955 to 1956. Jeez. But he finished up his graduate, uh, graduate work at the University of Colorado in Boulder, wow. earning a master's and a doctorate in 1962. That's incredible. And in one year, he earned a master's and got his doctorate. That's incredible. 
Um, no, that was between 56 oh, okay. and 62. Sure. So it was okay. 55, 56 is when he was at Caltech. Right. And then he went to uh, Colorado. Yeah. From there, he went on to teach physics uh, as an assistant professor at Oregon State. So he's on a good path. Yeah, he is. And Smart his achievements are pretty good yeah. so far. Good for him. Now, while he's at the university from 1962 to 1965, uh, a lot was happening. Yeah, a lot of changes in American society at that time. A Things of... were twisting and turning. Civil rights were coming up. The counterculture yeah. was going off, especially up in Oregon. Oh, yeah, man. That that whole part of the country, like beatniks and hippie movements and stuff. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that was free a, love, a stop the war. Shift. Yeah, that's, that's um, kind of ground zero for a lot of that stuff. Well, it's his reaction to those uncomfortable topics, and I think the period of time he is when he, when he at, in his life, I think it's late thirties, mm. forty. Start getting set in your ways. You want shit to be the good old days all the time. <laughs> so he started speaking out and being against the counterculture and the the mm. protesters for the Vietnam War, saying that they were led by the Jews and designed. Oh my god, to that was quick. Yeah, the fabric of America, because that's how <laughs> shit works. They apparently. were. How did they, how did he get there so quick? This is an intelligent guy, right? Has he been reading the Elders of Zion? I don't like, know what the hell happened. Like that, he goes Jews. Like yep. you know, it's Jesus. I, I I can understand like if he like he went to a military academy, right? So immediately yes. you're surrounded by army types. Uh, people who are big on discipline and structure and protecting America, protecting the country. It's the greatest country on earth, blah, you know, and it's like it's what people in the army are typically quite strong nationalists, not, not uh -huh. in a bad way, but they love their country yes. because they're serving their country. That's whole part of the thing and all of that. But to go, and I understand, you know, like you say, there, there is a point in most people's lives where they're like, I am comfortable. I am who I am now. I've learned all I'm going to learn. This is where I'm at. Everything's great. Let's just live in this world. And then you stop evolving, or some of these people do stop evolving, but the world doesn't, and it leaves you behind. So you're mm -hmm. like, hold on, what the fuck? I don't want this. Stop. Right. And right. actually, this needs to happen, but you can't keep up. Therefore, you get angry with it. So that I understand that instinct. That's why JK Rowling is a fucking turf. You know, the, these things happen, right? But what I don't understand <laughs> is the leap from the world has left me behind. I'm terrified of change to it's the Jews fault. That's like, I don't get it. I'm going to have to go to uh, his mother's side of the family and that history there being uh, Confederate ah, politicians, anti-Semitic white supremacists early on. Yeah. There we would have come in his upbringing mm -hmm. uh, at the time. Sure. And that just a little scratch under the surface and boom. Yeah. yeah it's it. like a staph yeah. infection. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. um, in 1962, he briefly joined the anti-communist John Birch society, Okay, but he actually left there because it wasn't involved in enough issues of race. So oh. it was too broad. It, it hated all communists. It didn't care. Yeah, and he okay. hated yeah. communists of a specific creed yeah. or uh, color. Yeah, culture. Like you hate communists, but you're not <laughs> hating the right communists, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, 
1965, he got political ambitions from all of this shit going on and left his tenure at Oregon State University to relocate in North Haven, Connecticut. Sure. And he worked as a senior researcher at the Advanced Materials Research and Development Laboratory of Aerospace Manufacturing at Pratt & Whitney. Wow. That's a lot. Shit, well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, that got him to Washington, D.C., where he became an associate of George Lincoln Rockwell. Right. Now, that guy is the founder of the American Nazi Party. Oh, shit. <laughs> and during that same time, well, he's working with the creator of the American Nazi Party. He mm. is the editor for the party's quarterly ideological journal, The National Socialist World. Oh, and God. then Rockwell got whacked in 1967. So yeah, our dude um, ends up one of the leading members of the National Socialist White People's Party. Oh, God. Which there's not even a name there. You, you purposely <laughs> made an acronym that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's the National Socialist White People Party leader and the new successor of the uh, ANP. And I didn't write down what that was because I'm bad that's, at my job. <laughs> doesn't matter. They're, they're probably horrible. So that's but it, all we need to know. It gets escalated and moves quickly now. So in 1962, he leaves the NSWPP and joined the Youth for Wallace which was an organization supporting the bid for presidency of George Wallace. George Wallace. I have um, performed as George Wallace in uh, an alternate fiction, an alternate reality thing. I played George dick? Wallace. Did you he play was a him? horrible, he was the same horrible arsehole in a different universe. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in 1970, him and Willis Carto reconfigured the youth for Wallace into the National Youth Alliance. That sounds menacing. And then they got into a dispute and bickered back and forth through 1971, openly feuding and causing a ruckus amongst their circles. Sure. And it, it caused them to split. And then by 1974, he set up his own shop known as the National Alliance. And this is where it's kind of fucking scary because the National Alliance was supposed to be uh, an organization that serves as a political vanguard that right. uh, ultimately brings around the white nationalist overthrow of the United States government. Okay. Yep. That, wow. <laughs> by 1974, <laughs> he was fucking plotting to violently overthrow the government and working to spread that word. Uh, the word of paranoid, anti-Semitic, communist, hate, and white supremacist victory over everyone else. Yeah. Holy Boom. shit. Um, wow. Between 1975 and 1978 is where he arguably did his most damage. Right. Well, I guess after 1978 when it snowballed here. But he began to publish a serialized fiction novel in the National Alliance publication. That's right. The National Alliance is also a book publisher and a magazine publisher who puts out a place or a, a, a publication called Attack with an exclamation point. <laughs> um, it has he put out one chapter of his story per issue and enthusiastic reactions from racist sympathizers led him to self-publish the story as a paperback in 1978, back before Amazon and the Internet. So. You'd it think was still it would, possible. But you'd think it would spread slow through this National oh, yeah. Vanguard publishing. Yeah. 
uh, uh, it sold a lot of copies. Uh, the story was originally set in the 1980s when he put it out in the Attack publication, but when he turned it into a novel to release in 1978, he changed it to the 1990s. Right. And sure. his novel that he wrote was The Turner Diaries. You may have heard of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was published under a pseudonym, Andrew McDonald, and it depicts the violent revolution in the United States that leads to the overthrow of the federal government, a nuclear war, and ultimately a race war that leads to the systematic extermination of all non-whites. Okay. You know, just your average Sunday read. Yeah, that's, that's quite the, yeah, the light read. That's the coffee table book that you, ha- you, you go around to your friend's house, catch up, and they've got like... Lo- designing log cabins they might have like a gardening book and then they've got this thing that violent overthrow of government and wiping out all races on the planet except Caucasians right well and the scary ass thing about this is that the protagonist of the book Earl Turner does a lot of things that almost feel like a damn roadmap to right. domestic terrorism in the United States sure okay um Oh, I forgot to tell you that it initially sold 200,000 copies. Jesus, God. (laughs) Most people can only dream of those numbers today. That is insane. And as of 2000, um, there's figures been given up to uh, half a million copies have been sold of this. And there's certain things that I think bring about additional sales, like when things happen, and we'll talk about that here. Um, the Turner Diaries was described as explicitly racist and anti-Semitic by the New York Times. Yeah. And it has been labeled the Bible of the racist right by the FBI. Yep. And it's it's been trouble. It's been influential in shaping white nationalism, the yep. development of genocide conspiracy theories. And it inspired actual crimes and acts of terrorism, including... Yep. The 1984 assassination of Alan Berg, a journalist, yep. um, in 1995, the Oklahoma City bombing. Yep. That asshole had a copy in his car. Yeah, and in that uh, Turner Diaries, the guy blows up a federal building, not necessarily in Oklahoma, but somewhere using a, federal, yeah. a truck bomb. Which is exactly what happened. Uh, yes. Yeah. Holy shit. The book uh, is all, also led to the 1999 London nail bombings. Yeah, that was that was really really dark. I remember when that happened. I was eighteen at the time. That was yeah an incredibly dark moment in London's history because they were targeting gay clubs and and pubs and stuff like that. And it was just that you know they were mar- gay people in London were marginalised for so long. They basically had to hide in Soho for like fifty years. Yeah, even after like. Um, homosexuality was decriminalized in the 60s they still had to hide in areas of soho for fear of being attacked such a weird thing to like be pissed off about what somebody does that has nothing to fucking do with you (laughs) i I know who gives a shit that that's them leave leave them to do anyway so yeah uh the the nineties were quite an important time for gay people in in the UK because uh, people were starting to alert. You know, there were a lot of pride marches. A lot of people were kind of finally being a bit more open about their sexuality, and then that happened, and everyone's like, very little's changed under the surface. Really, it was really scary, actually. Yeah. So mm. 
as you can see, the Turner Diaries sucks. Um, yes. Because it's led to some shit like that. And what's really bad is he, while he was doing that, while he was initially putting it out in 78, he claimed that the National Alliance was an educational organization and applied for a tax exemption with the IRS. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> they, they said no, but he appealed uh, it. Yeah. And it they still through. said no. They said fuck oh, off. Oh, thank God. Um, thank God. <laughs> Jesus. Oh. Um, but he did um, get involved in like public television and some <sighs> other things. Uh, and let's see. Oh, yeah. He went on to a talk show that he co-hosted with former Klansman uh, Tom Metzinger. Met Metzger. Okay. Sorry, Tom Metzger. Yeah. Um, they attempted to do some young Yom Kippur war what? and force Mc, uh, McDonnell Douglas to cancel military contracts uh, that sent armaments to Israel. Right. And they like they tried to sneak in him in this Tom Metzger. Uh, tried to sneak in and buy up the company stocks and um, basically work. stop. No, yeah. no, it didn't work there either. So at least they're unsuccessful. Yeah, um, they, they, they've got plans, but they are kind of Acme level actually, actually executing them. So, yeah, thankfully they're incompetent enough, despite him being some sort of genius, which well, is... Yeah, it's... I think that's the thing that, that gets scary and it kind of watered me down yeah. weird little paths for a while where I, I started, I, I don't know, maybe weaving some stories in my head. Um, mm -hmm. But he started making speeches about the Arab Israel conflict and almost was sympathetic. And a lot of it was republished in Muslim publications and on their websites oh. that included the the website of the Lebanese Shia Islamist group Hezbollah. Mm. Yeah. They were following his shit, um, which leads me to believe that a lot of hate, even hate by extremists that would hate each other. Yeah. Uh, all come together and are based somehow a lot of the time on anti-semitism which is just blows yeah. my mind but um, he like i wonder if he what his stance like because we we when we talked about um harold von braunhort last week they the the aryan nations and the ku klux klan people eventually found out that he was jewish but they were like but it's fine. He's the right kind of Jewish person because he's on our side. So therefore, he's okay. He's not really Jewish. So like, I wonder if this guy's like, oh, these people that I hate, I'm okay with they them because they hate these people and I hate them more than I hate this. Like, yeah, yeah, the enemy and of they my, like and, what I wrote. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> it's, it's ego, isn't it? The enemy yeah. of my enemy is still my enemy, but they're lining my pockets. So. But it kind of the weird thing about it, though, is that they had that support. The is Islamic uh, extremist and, and yeah. him. Um, and it kind of wandered me down the path going, oh, shit, 9-11, September 11th. Osama bin Laden didn't like Jewish people, yeah. had a little influence from him. Maybe it was a birthday present for the guy. Yeah. Or um... I just made up a conspiracy theory, but... <laughs> Um, you could see how people might fall for something like that, though, if you catch Absolutely. a little bit, a tidbit of truth. Yeah, you just sow a little bit of coincidence and tiny little bit of truth, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's reality. And so. 
it spreads really fast. Yeah, and, and then you got Joe Rogan talking about it on his podcast, and yeah. then you never know where it's gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, back to the Turner Diaries, though the book yeah. had way too much political influence and led to um extreme violence that we talked about. The yeah. Anti Defamation League identified the Turner Diaries as probably the most widely read book among far right extremists. Many of them have cited it as inspiration behind the terrorist organizations and activities, uh, end quote. Yeah. Uh, the policy on the classification of hate, propaganda, sedition, and treason of the Canadian Border Service Agency classified the Turner Diaries as hate propaganda literature, and it cannot be imported into Canada. Wow, so it's up there with the anarchist cookbook in terms of like dangerous novels. That's incredible. Yeah. Dude, that anarchist cookbook was dangerous as shit. I'll tell you about a story about junior high back in the <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> um, so the phrase, the day of the rope, oh, came man. from that book. And wow. it became common in the white nationalist and alt-right internet circles. And it's referring to an event in the novel where all of the race traitors were publicly hanged. Oof. On January 6th, there were live streams that depicted the construction of gallows at, on the Capitol grounds. Mm -hmm. And there were groups live streaming, chanting day of the rope. Wow. Hang them, hang the traitors. Um, there was one old dude wearing a camp Auschwitz fucking shirt. Jesus Christ. Um, and these are the people that Trump wants to pardon if he is elected in 2024. <laughs> Apparently. Maybe. I don't know. I I don't want to like take sides, but I have to in certain cases because people dicks are dicks. Yeah. You know? And like <laughs> unchecked, they go from being dicks to like actual like psychopathic, really oh, dangerous yeah. people. Like crumbling the foundations of the world. Speaking that of, of that, let's get into the white supremacist acts of terrorism that the book oh. has inspired. Okay. Uh the order was a white supremacist group and terrorist organization from 1983 to 84 that named itself after the political organization which was discussed in the Turner Diaries. Sure. And the order went on to murder three people, including talk radio show host Alan Berg. Yeah. Then they went on to commit robberies and counterfeiting and all kinds of other bad stuff trying to provoke a race war. Yeah. Next is Timothy McVeigh, who was convicted for his role in the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995, and he was found with pages from the Turner Diaries after the attack that closely resembled the bombing of the FBI headquarters in the novel, highlighted and all that shit. Wow. Then there was John William King, who was convicted of dragging James Byrd, an yeah. African-American, to death in Jasper, Texas in 1998, and it was said... Uh, we got to start the Turner. He was reported to have said when he was shackling him to the truck, we're going to start the Turner Diaries, er, Diaries early. Jeez. So um, then we've got David Copeland. That's the British neo-Nazi that killed three yep. people in the bombing campaign. Yeah. Um, and a copy of the Turner Diaries and other neo-Nazi propaganda were found in the home of Jacob D. Robita who attacked the three gay men at a bar in New Bedford, Massachusetts in 2006. Right, um, yes. He took off, killed a, a hostage and a police officer before he offed himself. So he should have skipped to the end early. Yep. <laughs> um, and a copy of the Turner Diaries and neo-Nazi 
propaganda that were associated with uh, white supremacy and Nazism were found in the house of Zach Davies, who was convicted of a racist murder attempt in Mold, Flintshire, UK, in September of 2015. Right around the corner from where I lived. Like, Flintshire is like two counties over. It's like I was in Anglesey. It was on the local news then. Yeah, it was. And it was a big fucking deal. Um, and, and you think about the spread of the Turner Diaries, that's pretty much every corner of the globe we've covered in terms of hate geography. Oh. Yeah, it, well, and this it's the next part here is the National Socialist Underground in Germany. Yeah. Um, got involved in murdering nine immigrants in 2000, 2007, and that led to the Turner Tagbucher whatever the hell it's in german it's banned sure. since 2006 not surprised in germany yeah i bet you you can still get it I, you can't get it on amazon anymore i know they took it down mm. from there <laughs> well, there's probably someone out there who's currently rephrasing it and self-publishing it under the burner dra- diaries or some shit like that but yeah there'll be there'll be some way of getting it on the fucking internet and it wouldn't surprise me if it was quite a mainstream site as well it, yeah. is that is that the end of the, the terrorist things linked to the Turner Diaries, or are there more? Um, so far, that's the end of it, uh, the terror, the terrorist events. He did continue to go on and spread his hate worldwide. Wow. Um, so he, from... did, he didn't care. He didn't care yeah. about any of this. Not wow. not really. He seemed legitimately unapologetic. Like his, par- or his kids talk about him um, saying he was a, a violent, manipulative, mentally abusive yep. kid. Totally um, believe them. <laughs> he he spent the rest of his life living in West Virginia, and from that location, he hosted a, we- a weekly radio show, The American Dissident Voice. Um, he went on to publish the National Alliance Bulletin, oversaw the National Vanguard magazine, um, put out the Free Speech and Resistance, as well as a ton of books that were put out under the National Vanguard Books. Uh, many of which of them are promoting the Holocaust denial and white power rhetoric. Ugh. And then, you know, his ass started resistance records and supported them through the 90s. They put out, you know, Nazi rock. Basically, music. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that being featured in a, a kind of, it wasn't Vice, but it was a Vice like magazine over in the UK when they covered fringe topics like that. <clears throat> and um, one of I one of my the portions of my second degree is in American studies. I had a lecturer who was like, you think of your stereotypical university lecturer, you know, button down tweed jacket, patches on the elbows, patches on the elbows, like kind of hair. That's probably not been washed like a couple of weeks, thinning bit of dandruff. He had a lisp. It was very thin. This is a guy that had hung out with the Ku Klux Klan, with hell's angels, with, uh mexican cartels with um like mexican prison gangs all of these people he's he's got pictures he had pictures in his office of him going oh like that you know (laughs) not not that he liked them but he was like a kind of a louis theroux i'm going to embed myself with these people and i'm going to learn everything i can from them and then i'm going to come back and i'm going to give this information to my students and their mouths are going to hit the floor 
See, um, I feel like that would be something I would enjoy doing if I, when I'm a better writer, I'm going to do this. <laughs> it was, I've got to be honest with you, hearing the stuff, because he never editorialized, which is the important thing. So people can go about, oh, you know, colleges are full of just Marxist lecturers and stuff. This guy never once said, and they're evil, or they're scumbags, they're wrong, they're this. He was like, they believe, and bringing about the fall of the government, and murdering all the ethnic minorities, and it was up to everyone else in the class to go, what the fuck are they talking about? That's See, I like to throw in, in the, the tidbits there of judgment, and that's my problem. Uh, yeah, you <laughs> see, that's the thing. But he was always like, he was letting your instincts tell you where this was going. So he wasn't imposing his values on you. He wasn't calling you comrade or anything like that. He was Which, just like, this is what they believe. Discuss. See, and that's you know? the funny thing, because, you know, that's who they say is the type of people that impress their opinion upon you when generally it's the misinformation that spreads real fast Absolutely. and with fervor. Um, I've been to two universities in my time, spent five, uh, six years in university. I never once had a lecturer or uh, anyone try and get me to, to become a communist or anything <laughs> like that. They were there to present uh, information, and that was it. That was all we got. We didn't get, like, when they played the tape of Nixon trying to convince Kissinger that dropping a bomb on Vietnam, an atom bomb on Vietnam, was a good idea. Not one point did they say, Nixon's fucking insane which he clearly was, because he was kind of <laughs> screaming down the phone at Kissinger, and Kissinger's going, oh, I think this is a bad idea, I think we will lose support. And Nick's going, I'm just trying to get you to see the bigger picture here. <laughs> so it's like, uh, yeah, I, but this guy is definitely the type of person to try and impress his agenda, his manifesto on you. Oh, sure. and, and he does so with, with skill, and yes, apparent, the apparently some thing really good writing yeah. i mean you would think in order to get that sucked in it would have to be decent yes i haven't read it so i know I, I don't think i'm gonna... about to but then again <laughs> like it doesn't the thing is with with a certain type of theme it doesn't have to be um you know ulysses or anything like that it, it can be the most straightforward story that just appeals to the baser instincts that you know exist in your audience. If he's already been publishing newsletters and pamphlets and whatever else bullshit, he knows that there's an audience out there, right? He knows what they like. They believe the bullshit that he's peddling. All he has to do is create a very straightforward narrative and they will buy into it wholesale. And it worked because he's now probably incredibly rich. And unfortunately, this guy who is clearly a genius probably fell towards the madness end of the spectrum of high intelligence as opposed to the I'm going to apply yeah. my knowledge for the betterment of humankind level. I almost wonder if he was so smart that he figured out how it could be done and tried to warn yep. people and got taken the wrong way, but his kids said he was a dick, so I'm going to go with theirs. So I'm gonna, <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to go with um, high-functioning psychopath. Uh, uh, I get Unluckily, it... <laughs> Impartially. His last speech was made in Cleveland, Ohio on April 28th, 2002. And on oh. July 23rd, he died of renal failure three weeks after being diagnosed with cancer, which spread through his body like super quick. Like almost oh, like racist, horrible ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bad Jesus. joke. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, get, I, I think I thought it was quite good. It was <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
at the time, the National Alliance was bringing in more than $1 million a year and had a staff of over 1,500 people, um, including 17 full-time officials. That's, that's an entire organization. That's, that's really, really scary. My After God. his death, though, uh, it entered a period of internal conflict and decline, mm. hopefully a permanent decline. Yeah. Um, and that right there, that's the story of William Luther Pierce, the American neo-Nazi white supremacist, far right political activist for more than 30 years that uh, actually one of the highest profile individuals of the white nationalist movement. Um, he was a, a physicist by profession, an author yeah. and an architect of hate through his novel, The Turner Diaries and the founder of the National Alliance white nationalist organization that he led for more than 30 years that he used to publish anti-Semitic white supremacist literature and other generally bad juju. So what do you think? See, he's one of history's greatest idiots. Oh, fuck. It's, you know, the weird thing with this, right? There was so much potential there with this guy. He blitz through his scholastic career right just absolutely aced everything and at a certain point in his life and we've said this before about some of the people in the podcast he could have been so good for the world for his community for the people he taught if oh, and and all it took was some turning point in the 60s and he just went full batshit insane bastard evil level you know, stuff you know what why the hell was he not with nasa in the 1960s exactly jesus half of nasa in the 60s were nazis you know <laughs> operation paperclip they got them out oh, of germany yeah. and they shoved them in nasa i there's, forgot there's, about that yeah there's a joke in archer when um <laughs> they're talking about um what nazis gave the world and they talk about neil armstrong and and Someone goes, Neil Armstrong was a Nazi? Like, no, NASA. You walk into NASA and shout Zeke Heil, half of them will stand to attention. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's, uh, Arch is a very edgy adult uh, cartoon, but man, some of the jokes in there were very, I mean, they were accurate because I Operation still, Paperclip. Yeah, I still run around saying, you want ants? That's how you get ants. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love that show. Um, but yeah, um, he should have been in NASA. This is a guy who had an understanding of chemistry physics um obviously a high iq would have fit right in because he's been in military academy you know may um, have done less damage if he would have gone to nasa damn it far less damage because nasa uh, of all the things that nasa have kind of kind of created or been at the forefront of or helped the evolution of in terms of technology one of the greatest things and one of the things that most people don't recognize about the organization is they were at the forefront of workplace psychological testing now it failed when uh one of their former when one of their astronauts who was on sabbatical drove across country to try and murder her ex-husband yeah. while wearing adult nappies and and shit like that like th that failed but they were at the forefront of psychologically testing the people that were going into space, the people that were around the astronauts, the people that were working on the rocket. These people had to go through serious tests to get to where they were. Had he gone into NASA, I feel like either they would have identified his psychological issues 
and either helped him get treatment for them or they'd have put him on a fucking watch list and he would not <laughs> have gone very far. Uh, it's it's so I'm amazed he's still alive. I've got he's to be a, honest. 2002, well, he died of cancer. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. So I'm amazed he made it to 2002, oh, yeah. to be quite honest, because, uh, you know, we're talking 60s, 70s. Um, he I'm amazed he wasn't assassinated for some of the shit he was doing. Maybe Being he wasn't so high close profile to, enough. I mean, he was the assistant to the dude that was assassinated yeah, that american nazi party guy what the hell was his name yeah 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 the um oh, Richard, uh, uh, yeah him anyway doesn't matter no <laughs> it's it, scumbag um so yeah I, I in terms of scoring this guy it's it's another wasted potential like he could have been so much but mm -hmm. he so quickly went down the route of hate <clears throat> which is probably something that existed in his family already, like you were saying, with the Confederacy and members of the government. And like there was just this bubbling undercurrent of hate in his family. Um, he's responsible for several hundred deaths indirectly. Yeah. Um, directly, not so much. But if you if you take like there's obviously different layers of the directness of the, the deaths he's involved with. Timothy McVeigh, the people that had copies of his book, those people like first tier then you got the next tier down like you were saying hezbollah which has been a hugely influential um organization in the world of islamic extremism and and things like that who adopted elements of his philosophy and hatred of jewish people i mean countless tens hundreds of thousands of dead people as a result of that oh. and you know systemic uh mistreatment of entire populations I have to give this guy a high score because in terms of his knock-on effect rating, he is almost as effective as a, of a killing machine as the guy who invented CFCs and lead, leaded paint, leaded fuel. Thomas so, Midgley. Midgley, yeah, Thomas Midgley Jr. So I have to go 97 with this guy. He I'll take is, that. <laughs> yeah, I, Thomas Midgley was uh, probably a little bit higher because... He was a capitalist idiot. He's like, I'm doing this to make money and it'll help, but then it doesn't help. And he's like, well, it's out there now. So what the fuck? This guy <laughs> deliberately oh, went yeah. after people he hated. And as a result of his acts, hundreds, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are dead. And he did not give one single shit. So definitely oh, no. solid 97. So well, thank just, you, sir. Yeah. Um, so dark. Um, You're I welcome. We, yeah, <laughs> I know. I know we do these dark people from time to time. Another one was um, uh, Rainier, who was the Nexium cult leader. That was so dark. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> but like these are these are important things to cover because I didn't know half of this stuff about this guy. I you know it's important even though we're not exactly Joe Rogan's podcast because for mm. one thing we're telling truth. Um you I'll know it's important this stuff gets out there. Yeah, we'll tell you <laughs> about uh, it's important this information gets out there so that people are like, holy shit, he went down that route super quickly and easily. Maybe I can spot the signs. Maybe I can and you will you will spot signs when your friends are going completely off and you can it's okay for you to go, look, can we have a chat? about stuff don't be afraid to have a little intervention with your friends or people you know if they are going down a dark path anyway racist scumbag who wrote the turner diaries solid 97 on the idiot scale now i am going to turn to a slightly lighter topic 
the Civil War. Not really that light. <laughs> no. <laughs> Possibly 800,000 dead. Um, oh. I am going to cover the person who is widely regarded as America's worst ever president. And boy, fuck me, was he definitely top three. Okay. Um, I'm talking about James Buchanan. James Buchanan Jr. was born on the 23rd of April, 1791, in a log cabin, because everyone was <laughs> fucking born in a log cabin in 1791. There's, there's two defining features of people around this time. They're either born in a log cabin or they died in a fight due to a poker game. That's basically it. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you fucking stole money from me. Uh, like, yeah. And then someone else dies in a log cabin. It's the circle of life in the 18th and 19th century. Um, in Cove Gap, Pennsylvania, to James Buchanan Sr. and Elizabeth Spear. His parents were both Ulster Scott descendant, just like your fella, almost. Yeah. Close, his father. Yeah. His father emigrated from Ramelton Island in 1783. Shortly after Buchanan's birth, the family moved to a farm near Merkersburg, Pennsylvania. And in 1794, the family moved into the town. Um, his father became the wealthiest resident there, which, I mean, I don't mean shit at that time, really. Uh, working as a merchant farmer and real estate investor. Actually, that does sound quite impressive. In fact, yeah, that well, anybody that's got uh, two squares of the land is already doing well for himself. <laughs> yeah. then. I'm a millionaire. I got some. <laughs> I got some dirt. Uh, Buchanan attended uh, Old Stone Academy in Murkersburg and then Dixon College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. He was nearly expelled for bad behavior. No, like insight into what they mean by that. There's like no historic, like is I. Like, was he a bully? Like, I, I don't know. Like he said, to be honest, he sounds like a bit of a bully in the, his later life, but it could have been something as because you know we're talking like quite puritanical times. It could have been like a prank or some shit. You know, it could have been anything. There's no record. Uh, but he pleaded for a second chance and ultimately graduated with honors in 1809. So lucky bastard, really. okay, got away with that one. Uh, later that year, he moved to the state capital of Lancaster. James Hopkins, a leading lawyer there, accepted Buchanan as an apprentice, and in 1812 he was admitted to the Pennsylvania Bar. Many other lawyers moved to Harrisburg when it became the state capital in 1812, but Buchanan made Lancaster his lifelong home. His income rapidly rose after he established his practice, and by 1821 he was earning over $11,000 per year. Which in today money is two hundred and ten thousand dollars, but shit, that's, that was a lot more back then. That's that's you, money. That's money. shit. <laughs> you can buy Pennsylvania with two hundred and ten thousand dollars in fucking eighteen twenty one. No, no shit. Um, he handled various types of cases, including a much publicized impeachment trial where he successfully defended Pennsylvania Judge Walter Franklin. Uh, no idea. I, history buff. Don't know about that one. I don't uh, know that one either. No, I don't think many people will. Buchanan began his political career as a member of the Federalist Party and was elected to the Pennsylvania House of Representatives in 1814 and 1815. The legislature met only three months a year, uh, for only three months a year, but Buchanan's service helped him acquire more clients. Politically, he supported federally funded internal improvements, a high tariff, and a national bank. These are very important things to remember for the future. So he supports federal, federally funded improvements, so infrastructure, 
community schools, you know, public things. He's in favor of them getting okay. government help. He wants a high tariff and he wants a national bank. Remember that. That's the really important one. Okay. He became a strong, strong critic of <clears throat> Democratic Republican President James Madison during the War of 1812. He was a Freemason, breaking your conspiracy theories now, and served <laughs> as the master of, Ma of Masonic Lodge number 43 in Lancaster, and as a district deputy grand master of the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania, Grand Wizard of Masonic... Blah, 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 blah. Well, isn't um, that grand? Yes, it's a talking <laughs> shop for old white men. Uh, military service. Uh, when the British invaded neighboring Maryland in 1814, he served in the defense of Baltimore as a private in Henry Shipman's company, 1st Brigade, 4th Division, the Pennsylvania Militia, not as scary as militias are now. A unit of... <laughs> right. Yeah. A unit of Jaegers. I don't know what that is. I thought that was a drink. I could be wrong. Just yeah, that's, Y A G E R S. That's where Yagers. you pour two Jaegers together and you drink it at the same time. Shit, yes, Jaeger bombs. <laughs> uh, Buchanan is the only president with military experience who was not an officer. He is also the last president who served uh, in the War of eighteen twelve, which is kind of does does kind of interesting disastrous okay. war that it was in eighteen twenty. Buchanan was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives through the Federalist Party, uh, but his party was waning at the time. During his tenure in Congress, he became a supporter of Andrew Fucking Jackson. Oops, uh -huh. and another uh -huh. defender of states' <laughs> rights. So, uh -huh. Uh -huh. couple of warning signs already. States' rights, Andrew fucking Jackson. But uh, <laughs> you said he's in favor of a national bank. Exactly. So, uh -huh. he's like, ah, I like this crazy man with the stick. I'm going to follow him. <laughs> he beats people up for a living. I like this guy. Um, after the 1824 presidential election, he helped organize Jackson's followers into the Democratic Party, and he became a prominent Pennsylvania Democrat. In Washington, he was close with many Southern congressmen and viewed uh, some New England congressmen as dangerous radicals, as opposed to Andrew Jackson, who's totally fucking sane and even keeled. Never um, gotten yeah. a duel ever. Never killed anybody and never had a party that got out of control and ran amok <laughs> in the fucking White House and had a parrot that swore at his funeral. See, um, that's a positive. That's that's, that's on the pro party, side of that yeah. list. Good man. Good man. <laughs> he was appointed to the Agriculture Committee in his first year and he eventually became chairman of the Judiciary Committee. He declined renomination to a sixth term and briefly returned to private life. Uh, now, I'm going to break down the rest of his life here into different segments because there's a lot to cover and a lot of shit went down. First okay. segment, ministry to Russia. After Jackson was re-elected in 1832, he offered Buchanan the position of United States ambassador to Russia. Buchanan was reluctant to leave the country, but ultimately agreed. That feels like a punishment to me. At the time, I yeah. would think, yeah. Go Thanks to the frozen tundra of Russia. Exactly. Thanks for being loyal. Now fuck off into this frozen wasteland <laughs> that's run by a powerful dictator. Um, well, who, was, who was in charge at the time? It would have been the Tsar. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, 18, yeah. Uh, yeah he, okay. I mean, if he's dining with the Tsar, he's fine. He's eating pheasant and walking in one of many hundreds of rooms while people outside are freezing to death and have nothing to eat. 
Um, he served as ambassador for 18 months, during which time he learned French, the trade language of diplomacy in the 19th century, and he helped to negotiate commercial and maritime treaties with the Russian Empire. So actually, in 18 months, he did a lot. Yeah, so no he's kidding. A very good diplomat, certainly of uh, a foreign minister. Very, very useful guy. So, you know, Jackson has seen this guy improve his government's lot. He has taught himself another language, and he's now got diplomatic ties with the biggest empire on the planet at the time. Very, very good work. I'm so. that language thing has me the most impressed because I studied <laughs> Spanish for like two years and I still oh, yeah. can't speak it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I fully appreciate that. Like I actually used to speak uh, when I was young. I spoke two languages, Welsh and English, and uh, then I went to a school that tried to teach me about four more, and I forgot one of the languages that I already spoke, and I barely spoke any german or french or latin so that was that was the end of my welsh languages uh buchanan returned home uh, sorry this is u.s senate career service okay now. uh buchanan returned home and was elected by the pennsylvania state legislature to succeed william wilkins in the united states senate wilkins in turn replaced buchanan as the ambassador to russia jobs for the boys you take my <laughs> job i take yours nobody gets any better <laughs> uh, the, the Jacksonian Buchanan, who was re-elected in 1836 and 1842, opposed the rechartering of the Second Bank of the United States. That's quite the political shift from where he started. Yeah. Fuck me. Um, he sought to expunge a congressional censure of Jackson stemming from the bank war. Didn't work. It was completely unsuccessful. Jackson got censured, although that's, I mean, might as well just be a slap on the wrist at that point because he's a he's a dictator. Buchanan also opposed a <laughs> gag rule sponsored by John C. Calhoun that would have suppressed anti-slavery petitions. He joined the majority in blocking the rule, with most senators of the belief that it would have uh, the reverse effect of strengthening the abolitionists. He said, We have just as little right to interfere with slavery in the South as we have to touch the right of petition. Fucking ew, you <laughs> prick. Uh, Buchanan thought that the issue of slavery was the domain of states, and he faulted abolitionists for exciting passions over the issue. Now he just didn't want to get involved, and he's looking for the easiest way out. That's what yeah. that, that's what states' rights is. Well, that's... states' rights make sense until you're like, yeah, they have the right to decide who's a person and who's property. Yeah, like, wait, who, who is two fifths <laughs> of a person or whatever it was? That's. <sighs> That's where states' rights goes out the fuck. I'm sorry, you're gross at that point. Get lost. Um, so he support uh, he his support of states' rights was matched by his support for Manifest Destiny, which is kind of weird when you think about it because Manifest Destiny and states' rights, while they may seem like from the same playbook, it's like we shouldn't interfere in the states' rights. But we should we should absolutely expand westwards, wipe out the native population, and create more states that we can't interfere with. It's like, right? Uh, well, I was going to say, once you're outside of the original colonies and states, <laughs> states' rights kind of go out the damn window, don't they? Exactly. It's just so, somebody else's shit at that point. <laughs> yeah. It's what are you like? There, there's no matching ideology there. Like, there's no track from one idea to the other that yeah, links the but, two completely and but he's your dirt's just touching mine so it's mine exactly and he's literally just doing that to further his own career i think yeah. at this point he's like states rights is popular slavery is popular with a lot of people i'm gonna go on their side 
people want more land, I'll go on their side. He is just a careerist, even at this stage in his life. Um, he also opposed the Webster-Ashburton Treaty for its surrender of lands to the United Kingdom, because that also very popular to oppose the United Kingdom even at this time. Buchanan also argued for the annexation of both both Texas and Oregon country in the lead up to the nineteen uh, sorry the eighteen forty four Democratic National Convention. Buchanan positioned himself as a potential alternative to the former president Martin Van Buren, by the but the nomination went to James K. Polk, who won the election instead. No idea who the fuck that guy is. Um, yeah, <laughs> Buchanan was offered the position of Secretary of State in the Polk administration, as well as the alternative of serving on the Supreme Court, which I actually think would have probably been a better option for him, to be honest. Um, he accepted the State Department post and served for the duration of Polk's single term in office. He and Polk nearly doubled the territory of the United States through the Oregon Treaty and the Treaty of the Guadalupe Hidalgo of Guadalupe Hidalgo, sorry, uh, which included territory that is now Texas, California, Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, and Colorado. Massive parts of the yeah. country. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you can make an argument that that is a massive achievement, right? Doubling the landmass, but at the same time, the shit that happened as a result of that it still just confuses me. Like they're writing treaties to pick up parts of country that's owned by who at this point? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, but they want to create states so they can't interfere in their rights. So you just leave them alone. They're there now. We made them, but fucking leave them alone. Um, <laughs> in negotiations with Britain over Oregon, Buchanan at first preferred a compromise, but later advocated for the annexation of the entire territory. Nice flip-flop in there, you bastard. Eventually, he agreed to the division at the 49th parallel. After the outbreak of the Mexican-American War, he advised Polk against taking territory south of the Rio Grande and New Mexico. However, as the war came to an end, Buchanan argued for the annexation of further territory. This fucker is wildly inconsistent. Holy <laughs> shit, he can't make up his but mind. Wait, you can't wait. trust him. <laughs> no, I, I know I said a few days ago that we shouldn't do that, but hear me out. Fuck him. Um, <laughs> and Polk began to suspect that he was angling to become president. Yeah, he definitely is. It's all about career with this guy. Buchanan oh, yeah. did quietly seek the nomination of the 1848 Democratic National Convention, as po uh, Polk had promised to serve only one term. But Senator Lewis Cass of Michigan was nominated instead because like, oh, we don't fucking want you, dude. This guy's better. Um, <laughs> next position was as ambassador to the United Queen the Kingdom. So that's awkward. Um, <laughs> with the 1848 election of Whig Zachary Taylor, Buchanan returned to private life. He bought the house of uh, Wheatland on the outskirts of Lancaster and entertained various visitors while monitoring politi uh, political events. In 1852, he was named the president of the Board of Trustees of Franklin and Marshall College in Lancaster, and he served in this capacity until 1866. He quietly campaigned for the 1852 Democratic presidential election. Fucking snake in the grass, this guy. Uh, writing a public letter that deplored the Wilmot Proviso, which proposed to ban slavery in new territories. I will ban, I will stop slavery from being abolished. Vote for me. I'll be your Taking president. Taking the other side. Yeah. <laughs> he became known as Doughface <laughs> due to his sympathy towards the South. Are we sure that's why he was called Doughface? 
had he not just piled on the pounds in I his think private perhaps life. he may have been robust. Yeah, he may have been a, a re returned gentleman. At the <laughs> 1852 Democratic National Convention, he won the support of many Southern delegates, but failed to win two-thirds support needed for the presidential nomination, which went to Franklin Pierce. Sorry, I've completely... I seem to have put here ambassador to the United Kingdom and then just not done anything. So he mustn't have done anything of note. So Seems I'm, legit. Uh, yeah, he that just sounds about pissed right. them off earlier. Yeah. Uh, oh, here we go. Actually, Buchanan declined, declined to serve as the vice presidential nominee, and the convention has said nominated his close friend, William King. Pierce won the 1952, 1852 sorry, election, and Buchanan accepted the position of the United States Minister to the United Kingdom. Buchanan sailed for England in the summer of 1853 and remained aboard for the next three abroad. Sorry, Jesus, that would have been a long boat trip. No abroad, abroad for the next three years. In 1850, the United States and Great Britain had signed the Clayton-Bulwer Treaty, which committed both countries to joint control of any future canal that would connect the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans through Central America. I wonder we if you do that. We work together to take people's land. <laughs> <laughs> it's our favorite thing to do. I imagine um, they like high five and shit afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> you get us, you get us with your colonialism. Buchanan met repeatedly with Lord Clarendon, the British foreign minister, in hopes of pressuring the British to withdraw from Central America. That's a bit cheeky. He also focused on the potential annexation of Cuba, which had long interested him. Yeah, I bet it did with all the cigars and, and awesome music and cool cars and shit. That's a bit later on. Uh, Pierce's <laughs> prompting Buchanan met in Ostend, Bel uh, Belgium, with the U.S. ambassador to Spain, Pierre Soleil, and U.S. ambassador to France, John Mason. A memorandum draft resulted called the Ostend Manifesto, which proposed the purchase of Cuba from Spain in the midst of revolution and near bankruptcy. The document declared the island as necessary to the North American Republic as any of its present family of states. After Buchanan's recommendation, the final draft of the manifest against sorry against Buchanan's recommendation, the final draft of the manifesto suggested that it wrestled it from Spain if Spain refused to sell. Uh, I'm amazed he was against that actually, given what he's fucking like. Um, <laughs> if Spain refused to sell. Uh, would be justified by every law, human and divine. Here we go again with the divine shit. Get control of your team, Jimmy. They're out of control. Uh, the manifesto, generally considered a blunder, was never acted upon and weakened the Pierce administration and reduced support for Manifest Destiny. He's a pretty useless diplomat. He's actually weakening the position of his president at this point yeah. from abroad. How the fuck did he manage that? He's That's in Belgium. Special. <laughs> yeah, he's over in fucking Belgium eating the delicious waffles over there and chocolate. And oh, back in home, he's fucking up the entire country. What an idiot! Now, wait uh, a second, I'm you're better with the history than me. Yeah, when when were the when were pirates? Because like that was that around oh, the same time. They would, would have still so um there would have still been pirates around 1852, but they would not have been anywhere near as big as they were. We're talking like the 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 era of the the buccaneer was kind of uh, around about the time he was born, like 1790 to like okay. 1820, 1830. So they would have still definitely... Thinking. Yeah. They would have been pirates, but they wouldn't have been kind of like organized groups with giant chips and all of that. It would have been like a few guys trying to steal some shit. You know? Right. Like, yeah. Sorry, I, wa I wandered off. 
<laughs> no, no, that's okay. I'm fascinated by the history of pirates. Um, there's one, uh, an actual pirate queen over in China, one of the most successful pirates of all time. I can't remember her name. Fascinating story. She was a slave who killed her husband and took over his captaincy. Badass. And just like, yeah, and she dominated the fucking world of like Far East pirates. It's amazing. Anyway, back to this. Uh, the 1956, uh, sorry, Buchanan's service abroad allowed him to conveniently avoid the debate over the Kansas and uh, Nebraska Act that uh, then roiling uh, the country in the slavery dispute. While he did not overtly seek the presidency, he ass uh, assented to the movement on his behalf. Sure. Mm. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to be president, but if you want to nominate me, what a prick. He just he can't wait to be king. This, yeah. this awesome. Uh, the 1856 Nas uh, Democratic National Convention met in June, producing a platform that reflected his views, including the support of the fugitive slave law, which requi re required the return of escaped slaves fucking gross the platform also called for an end to anti-slavery agitation and the u.s ascendancy in the gulf of mexico that's basically we want to be an empire now yeah. president pierce hoped for renomination while senator stephen douglas also loomed as a strong candidate candidate buchanan led on the first ballot supported by powerful senators john sliddle jesse Bright uh, Thomas F. Bayard, who preside, uh, presented Buchanan as an experienced leader, appealing to the North and the South. He won the nomination after 17 ballots. Jesus, that's a long time. Uh, he was jointly on the ticket with uh, John C. Breckenridge of Kentucky, placating supporters of Pierce and Douglas, also allies of Breckenridge. Buchanan faced two candidates in the general election. Former Whig president Millard Fillmore ran as the uh, as the American Party or Know Nothing candidate, and John C. Fremont um, ran as the Republican nominee. Buchanan did not actively campaign, but he wrote letters and pledged to uphold uh, the Democratic platform. Lazy fuck! Uh, <laughs> in the election, he carried every slave state except Maryland, as well as five slavery-free states, including his home state of Pennsylvania. He won 45% of the popular vote and decisively won the electoral vote, taking 174 of 296 votes. His election made him the first president from Pennsylvania. In a combative victory speech, Buchanan denounced Republicans, <laughs> calling them a dangerous and geographical party that had unfairly attacked the South. Christ alive. You have to work with these people now, dude. Get a grip. He also declared the object of my administration will be to destroy the sectional party, north or south, and to restore harmony to the union under a nation and a conservative government. This guy is a fucking delusional arsehole. Um, yeah, so that, remember that. He wants to unite the country under a conservative government. Um, he said about his initial, uh, initially by feigning a sectional balance in his cabinet appointments, but very soon became clear he was appointing cronies. Let's get to his presidency. Buchanan was inaugurated on March the 4th, 1857, taking the oath of office uh, from Chief Justice Roger B. Taney. In his inaugural address, Buchanan um, committed himself to only serving one term, just as his predecessor had done. He expressed <laughs> an 
abhorrence for the growing divisions over slavery and its sta status in the territories, while saying that Congress should play no role in determining the status of slavery in the states or territories. Sigh, sigh. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's I, annoying, isn't it? I guess I just, I try to get in the headspace of like how people were thinking. Yep. And I just don't get it being okay to own somebody. I just think I know. It's, it's weird. It's really weird. And the only way you can think about his position is I finally got what I've wanted for so long. I am not rocking this boat. I don't care what's going on in the country. I am not taking a side, but I'm fine with slavery. You know, right. it's like, yeah. Mm. He also declared his support for popular sovereignty. Uh, Buchanan recommended that a, a federal slave code be enacted to protect the rights of slave owners in federal territories. What the fuck are you doing? He alluded to uh, a then pending Supreme Court case. Here it comes. Dred Scott versus Sanford which he said would permanently settle the issue of slavery. Boy, was he wrong. Dred Scott was a slave who was temporarily taken from a slave state to a free territory by his owner, John Sanford. The court misspelled his name. Uh, after Scott returned to the slave state, he filed a petition for his freedom based on his time in the free territory. Smart man. The Dred Scott decision, rendered after Buchanan's speech, denied Scott's petition in favour of his owner. And that is still like the biggest blemish on the United States judicial system to this day, I think. So far. So far. <laughs> Give them time. There's plenty for these old bastards for, to screw up yet. Two days after Buchanan's inauguration, Chief Justice Taney delivered the Dred Scott decision, denying the enslaved petitioner's request for freedom. The ruling broadly asserted that Congress had no constitutional power to exclude slavery in the territories. Prior to his inauguration, Buchanan had written to Justice Catron, Catron in January 1857, inquired about the outcome of the case, and suggested that a broader decision beyond the specifics of the case, would be more prudent. Buchanan hoped that a broad decision protecting slavery in the territories could lay the issue to rest, allowing him to focus on other issues. Please, I don't want to be involved, but you can settle this for me. I'm your president. Yeah. Fuck. Just do this. Make you it go away. It. I don't want to do it. <laughs> It's going to be unpopular with some people. Can you do it for me? Remember, <laughs> Commander-in-Chief. Um, Catron, who was from Tennessee, replied on the uh, 10th of February, saying that the Supreme Court's Southern majority would decide against Scott, but would likely have to publish the decision on narrow grounds unless Buchanan could convince his fellow Pennsylvania Justice Robert Cooper Greer to join the majority in court. Buchanan then wrote to Greer, fuck this guy, and prevailed upon him, providing the majority of leverage to issue a broad-ranging decision sufficient to render the Missouri Compromise of 1820 unconstitutional. He's repealing shit now. Buchanan's oh, letters nice. were not... Yeah. <laughs> Buchanan's petitions were not then public. He was, however... <laughs> 
seen at his inauguration in whispered conversation with the Chief Justice. When the decision was issued, Republicans began spreading the word that Haney had revealed to Buchanan the forthcoming result. Rather than destroying the Republican platform as Buchanan had hoped, the decision outraged Northerners who denounced it. Buchanan went on to further alienate anti-slavery forces and divide his own party, the Democrats, with his support for the controversial pro-slavery Lecompton Constitution in territorial Kansas. However, voters there ultimately rejected the document and Kansas entered the Union as a free state. So he even fucked that up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he's been in government a couple of months he's basically already fucked up he's alienated his own party he's angered republicans uh called them scumbags basically tried to force the end like the end of the debate around slavery because he didn't want to get involved by like subtly prodding people with his power just a scumbag um let's move on to the economic stuff now Okay. The Panic of 1857 began in the summer of that year, ushered in by the collapse of 1,400 state banks and 5,000 businesses. While Ooh. the South escaped largely unscathed because of slavery, numerous northern cities experienced drastic increases in unemployment. Buchanan agreed with the Southerners, who attributed the econ economic collapse to overspeculation. This is not going to endear him to voters in the North when he's like, yeah, it's your fault. Fuck you guys. <laughs> you know, you voted me in, but fuck you guys. Uh, reflecting his Jacksonian background, Buchanan's response was uh, reform, not relief. While the government was without the power to extend relief, it would continue to pay its debts in specie and it would not curtail public works. None would be added. <laughs> Uh, in hopes of reducing paper money supplies and inflation, he urged the states to uh, restrict the banks to a credit level of three dollar of credit level of three dollars to one dollar of specie and discourage the use of federal or state bonds as security for banknotes issued the economy recovered in several years though many americans suffered as a result of the panic which he kind of caused uh buchanan had hoped to reduce the deficit but by the time he left office the federal deficit uh this is 1860 now stood at 17 million dollars the equivalent of $571,040,240.96 today. Fuck. See, wasn't <laughs> it just paid off just before him? Shortly before? Yeah. 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 And, uh, I mean, we can look at his predecessors. I, I, economics is such, it's such a fluid thing. You know, you can blame elements of the 2008 financial crash on uh, Obama and Bush, and Clinton, and pretty much ever because Clinton repealed Glass-Steagall, which meant that you could wildly speculate on stuff that you weren't allowed to before because it was supposed to be secure. But, like, you know, Andrew, so Buchanan was definitely at fault of this because of his uh, opposition to the National Bank. Had, had the National Bank actually had the power it had, a lot of this wouldn't have happened. So, right. Yeah. In 1858 midterm elections, Stephen Douglas's. Oh, by the way, he Buchanan hated Stephen Douglas. Like they were like fucking Tom and Jerry. These two. <laughs> uh, uh, Stephen Douglas's Senate term was coming to an end in 1859, with the Illinois Legislature elected in 1858 uh, determined uh, whether Douglas would win re-election. The Senate, uh, sorry, the seat 
The Senate seat was the primary issue of the legislative election, marked by the famous debates between Douglas and his Republican counter uh, opponent for the seat, Abraham Lincoln. You all know where this is going. Whoa. Okay. Uh, yeah, you ain't, got, you ain't winning no speeches with Abe. Uh, Buchanan, working through federal patronage appointees in Illinois, ran candidates for the legislature in competition with other, with both Republicans and Douglas Democrats. He's sabotaging his own guys. What are you doing? Whatever it takes to just stay cool, man. That's what That's he's doing. <laughs> I'm in it for me. I don't give a shit about the party. This could easily have thrown the elections uh, to the Republicans and showed the depth of Buchanan's animosity towards Douglas. In the end, Douglas Democrats won the legislative election and Douglas was re-elected to the Senate. Gosh, I In wonder why he didn't like him so much. I wonder why. In that year's election, Douglas forces uh, Douglas's forces take control uh, throughout the North, except in Buchanan's home state of Pennsylvania. Buchanan's support was otherwise reduced to a narrow base of Southerners who loved him for the slavery ship. The division between <laughs> Northern and Southern Democrats allowed the Republicans to win plurality of the House in the 1858 elections and allowed them to block pretty much everything Buchanan did. Buchanan, in turn, because he's a petty little bitch, uh, added to the hostility by using his veto power of six substantial pieces of Republican legislation. This is all sounding very, very familiar. Isn't yeah, it? it's like assholes are doing this still. Yeah, it's like pricks who don't know what they're doing just keep using the veto power. It's amazing. <laughs> Among these measures were the Homestead Act, which would have given 160 acres of public land to settlers who remained on the land for five years. I actually think that's a good idea. It's like kind of seems fair. That does seem fair. You know, you've been there for five years. Nobody's come by to claim it. No one's doing anything with it. It's yours. You can look after it. And the Morrill Act, which would have granted public lands to established land grant colleges would have been really helpful. Buchanan argued that these acts were unconstitutional. He can't fucking stop himself at this point. <laughs> um, <clears throat> now moving on to the COVID committee. Not COVID, thankfully. In March 1860, the House impaneled the COVID committee to investigate the administration for alleged impeachment offense, impeachable offenses such as bribery and extortion of representatives. I mean, yeah, he's you done mean, that like like getting all up into a Supreme Court justice? Yeah, and like making them try and settle slavery once and for all? I'd say, yeah, that's impeachable. The committee, three Republicans and two Democrats, one of whom was a Douglas Democrat, was accused by Buchanan supporters of being nakedly partisan. Well, yeah, he's basically on his own at this point. They charged its chairman, uh, Republican Republic, John Cav uh whatever, uh, John Cavode with acting on personal grudge for a disputed land grant designed to benefit Cavode's railroad company. I mean, probably, yeah. The Democratic committee members, as well as Democratic witnesses, were enthusiastic in their condemnation of Buchanan, which, you know, really wouldn't have been difficult at this point, let's be honest. The committee was unable to establish grounds for impeachment uh, of Buchanan. However, the majority reported issued on June 17th alleged corruption and abuse of power among members of his cabinet not him but his members of his cabinet so he's that like a mafia familiar boss. too yeah doesn't it like <laughs> i didn't say this to you but go and tell them to do this it's it's mob mentality from like the very start the democrats pointed out um oh sorry um 
The report also included accusations from Republicans that Buchanan had attempted to bribe members of Congress in connection with the pro-slavery Lecompton Constitution of Kansas. Well, yeah, we God, he kind of really wanted slavery. He loved fucking slavery. Holy <laughs> shit, this guy. The Democrats pointed out that evidence was scarce but did not refute the allegations. One of the Democratic members, Republican James Robinson, stated that he agreed with the Republicans, though he did not sign it. It's like, you're right, but... I can't touch that. Come on, guys. Let's go for a beer. Um, Buchanan claimed to have passed triumphantly through this ordeal with complete vindication. Whatever, you prick. Um, <laughs> Republican operatives distributed thousands of copies of the COVID committee report throughout the nation as campaign material in that year's presidential election, which he was already going to lose. Like He said he's serving one term, but man, he has set the Democrats back decades at this yeah. point he's the walking embodiment of this is fine that means <laughs> <laughs> everything's on fire but this is fine this is fine i've fucked my own party and i've made the republicans massively successful well done um now let's move on to the election of 1860 as he had promised in his inaugural address buchanan did not seek re-election he went so far this is fucking amazing. He went so far as to tell his ultimate successor, if you're as happy in entering the White House as I shall be on returning to Wheatland, my home, you're a happy man. That's not something you want to hear from your fucking commander in chief. Like, I am done with this shit. Yeah. I'm it's out. Stuck. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I've still got six months to do in office, but I'm just basically <laughs> on holiday at this point. Uh, the 1860 Democratic National Convention convened in april of that year and though douglas led after every ballot he was unable to win the two-thirds majority required the convention adjourned uh after 53 ballots fuck me and reconvened in baltimore in june after douglas finally won the nomination several southerners refused to accept the outcome and nominated vice president uh breckenridge as their own candidate Douglas and Breckenridge agreed on most issues except the protection of slavery, which Buchanan, nursing a grudge against Douglas, failed to reconcile the party and tepidly supported Breckenridge. With the splintering of the Democratic Party, Republican nominee Abraham Lincoln, who was already massively fucking popular at this point, won a four-way election. A four-way election? That's That's kind of, that should happen more often. In fairness, in democracies, I think if uh, we did a ranked voting system, it would be great. Yeah, Although if you do it a four way election the way we do shit here, it'd be a dude that had like 12 people that liked him, exactly. Yeah, it's like one of them would be like uh, an antivirus software guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, with the splintering of the Democratic Party, uh, Republican nominee Abraham Lincoln won a four way election. Uh, that also included John Bell of the Constitutional Union Party. Nice name. Uh, Lincoln's support in the North was enough to give him an electoral college majority. Buchanan became the last Democrat to win a presidential election until Grover Cleveland in 1884, fucking 25 years later. Um, as early as That's <laughs> a long-ass time. As early as October, the Army's commanding general, Winfred uh, Winfield Scott, an opponent of Buchanan, warned him that Lincoln's election would likely cause at least seven states to secede from the Union. He recommended that massive amounts of federal troops and artillery be deployed to those states to protect federal property. 
although he was warned that few reinforcements were available. Since 1857, Congress had failed to heed calls for stronger militia and allowed the army to, uh, of a stronger militia and allowed the army to fall into de a deplorable condition. Buchanan uh, distrusted Scott and ignored his recommendations. Jesus. After Lincoln's election, Buchanan directed War Secretary Floyd to reinforce Southern forts with such provisions, um, arms and men and anything that was available, basically. However, Floyd persuaded him to revoke the order. The country is basically doomed. Yeah. At this point, it's doomed to civil war. Um, Thanks for stirring the shit pot, guy. Yeah, you're, you're on your way out the door and you just can't stop fucking up, can you? <laughs> With Lincoln's victory, talk of secession and disunion reached a boiling point, putting the burden on Buchanan to address it in his final speech to Congress on December the 10th. In his message, which was anticipated by both factions, probably the most interesting thing he's done in years at this point, Buchanan denied the right of states to secede, but maintained the federal government was without power to prevent them. What the fuck? He's so bad. Wow. That's like... I know. You can't do this, but we can't stop you. <laughs> you can't do it unless you do it, then, you know... Yeah. I mean, what the hell are we going to do, you know? <laughs> this, I have to point out, this is a, a little uh, aside. This guy was a lifelong bachelor. I, I, like, he had a girlfriend that died, and, like, he was heartbroken. And there were a load of rumors around him and this guy who was, like, his secretary for years. But this, these are the actions of a guy who's never had to raise kids, right? Because as a father, and you are a father figure to a nation, right? You are. You should be able to say, stop that shit or you're going to bed without like pudding or whatever you know i feel like yeah i mean he would have had to go hey you know a lot of people think that shit's wrong so maybe i shouldn't support it yeah uh, and could have slowly worked it out and yeah, like, maybe not had a war exactly and like this is your last speech as president you're out the door at this point. What do you have to lose? The winds of change are blowing. The, the Republicans control everything. If you want to have any influence on society after this, do the right thing, which it clearly is at this point, and say, look, slavery has had its day. It's time for us to turn over a new leaf. For the love of God, don't start a war over this. It's not worth six hundred to 800,000 people's lives. Instead, but he, he ripped ass and rolled up the windows. Yeah. Instead, he was like, out, bitches. <laughs> and um, he placed the, oh, and this is the best part. He placed the blame for the crisis solely on the intemperate interference of the northern people with the question of slavery in the southern states. Fuck me, this guy suggested that if they did not repeal their unconstitutional and obnoxious enactments the injured states after having first used all peaceful and constitutional means which they're definitely not doing at this point to obtain redress would be justified in revolution revolutionary resistance to the government of the union this is the fucking president saying yeah if you fuck with them they're right to kill everyone what a dick Buchanan's <laughs> only suggestion to solve the crisis was an explanatory uh, amendment affirming the constitutionality of slavery in the states, the fugitive slave laws, and the popular sovereignty in the territory. So his answer is just keep slavery. So really? here's my question then. Yeah. 
thinking of some states' rights shit. <laughs> if I yep. uh, say a dude living in where's where's north oh, of there? Uh, oh, sorry. In what's I'm in New Hampshire. Sure. Yeah. Right. And uh, I have some work that I don't want to do. So I drive down to Georgia and I kidnap some asshole and I drive him back up to New Hampshire. Can <laughs> I keep him? That's apparently so. To which or- James Buchanan's answer would be, it's not my fucking problem, man. Just leave me alone. <laughs> Just I don't want to deal with that. Oh, my God. I'm only president. Jesus. <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> I'm well, just a crap. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, he's oh so utterly useless. His address was sharply criticized by the North for its refusal to stop secession and the South for denying its right to secede. <laughs> so he pissed him, he pissed, pissed them both off. Everyone off. Five days after the address was delivered, Treasury Secretary Howell Cobb resigned as his views had become irreconcilable with the president's. What a fucking idiot. The Civil War erupted within two months of Buchanan's retirement. He supported the Union, writing to former colleagues that the assault upon Sumter was the uh, the commencement of a war by the Confederate States, and no alternative was left but to prosecute with vigor on our part. But they had the right to secede because we fucked them, but we should batter them now. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I feel like he just didn't want to get arrested as like a war criminal. Yeah. <laughs> basically yeah he's like oh shit i'm gonna do my uh, mitch mcconnell impression um he also wrote a letter to his fellow pennsylvania democrats urging them to join the many thousands of brave patriotic volunteers who are already in the field buchanan was dedicated to defending his actions prior to the civil war which was referred to by some as buchanan's war i mean yeah basically he received threatening letters daily and stores displayed people <laughs> Stores displayed Buchanan's likeness with the eyes inked red, a nose drawn around, uh, sorry, a noose drawn around his neck, and the word traitor in all capitals written across his forehead. Time for that European holiday, Jimmy. Holy shit, you better get out of the country. (laughs) Uh, The Senate opposed a proposed resolution of condemnation, which ultimately failed, and newspapers accused him of colluding with the Confederacy. I mean, yeah. At this point, a that's bit, a yeah. fair assumption. His former cabinet members, five of whom had given had been given jobs in the Lincoln administration, well, I mean, yeah, uh, refused to defend him uh, publicly. Buchanan became uh, distraught by the vitriolic attacks levied against him and fell sick and depressed. I mean, that's understandable. The entire nation's against you on both sides now. You yeah. didn't protect our right to secede. And like, why didn't you stop slavery? That's like, oh, my God. I, yeah, I fucked everything up. I feel like he's that freshman that's up on campus in that movie PCU that just has fucking everybody chasing after him by yeah. the end of the weekend. That's, <laughs> it. that's exactly it. Oh, my God. Um, he defended himself in an exchange of letters with Will- Winfried Scott in 1862, published in the National Intelligentsia. He soon began writing his fullest public defense in the form of his memoir, Mr. Buchanan's administration on the eve of a rebellion, as if like, oh, it was happening, whether I was there or not, uh, <laughs> which was published in 1866. Soon after the publication of the memoir, Buchanan caught a cold in May of 1868, which quickly worsened due to his advanced age. He wasn't that old. 
Uh, he died on June the 1st of 1868 of respiratory failure at the age of 77 at his home in Wheatfield. He was interned at Woodward Hill Cemetery in Lancaster. This guy was so shit. He was killed by the common cold. What a bitch. Yeah, um, it was COVID. It was, it was really COVID. <laughs> but someone went back in time and just <laughs> on him uh, like that. His, uh, so let's let's end this with his historical. Israel. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he was assassinated after all. He was. Uh, so let's end this with historical reputation, which I, you can kind of see what's coming now. Though Buchanan predicted that history will be vind will vindicate my memory. He was so out of touch. Historians have criticized Buchanan for his unwillingness or inability to act in the face of secession. Historical rankings of presidents of the United States, without exception, place Buchanan amongst the least successful presidents. When scholars are surveyed, he ranks at a near the bottom in terms of vision slash agenda setting, domestic leadership, foreign policy leadership, moral authority, and positive historical significance of their legacy. Which actually, like, as far as you, if you're going to measure people instead of going, oh yeah, it's definitely this guy because of this thing. Like, if you set out those those things that you, I definitely agree with them on this one. He's definitely right at the bottom. Buchanan <laughs> uh, biographer Philip Klein focuses upon uh, uh focuses upon challenges buchanan faced buchanan assumed leadership when an unprecedented wave of angry passion was sweeping over the nation that he held the hostile sections in check during this revolutionary time was in itself a remarkable achievement his weakness in the stormy years of his presidency were magnified by enraged partisans of the north and the south his many talents which in a quieter era might have gained uh, for him, a place among the great presidents were quickly overshadowed by the cataclysmic events of the Civil War and the towering Abraham Lincoln. That's one of his biographers. His other biographer, Gene Baker, is far less charitable, saying of him in 2004, <laughs> he's a prick. No, he didn't say that. Uh, Americans have conveniently misled themselves about the presidency of James Buchanan preferring to classify him as indecisive and inactive. In fact, Buchanan's failing during the crisis over the Union was not inactivity, but rather his partiality for the South, a favoritism that bordered on disloyalty in an officer pledged to defend all of the United States. He was the most dangerous of chief executives, a stubborn, mistaken ideologue whose principles held no room for compromise, his experience in government had only rendered him too self-confident to consider any other views. In his betrayal of the National Trust, Buchanan became closer to committing treason than any other president in American history. Fuck Lord. me. So that's, that's cognitive nice. dissidence led, led him to be an ass. He... <clears throat> I, I, so that's James Buchanan. I mean, I, I don't think I can really say much more just awful <laughs> just a terrible fucking president he bollocks the economy he screwed up the legislature and he literally drove the company the country to rip itself apart and kill hundreds of thousands of his own citizens yeah and he was a the like a an og flip-flopper oh yeah and i think sure. i think the whole problem was the dude was like i want to be president really bad <laughs> And, he wanted and people, it more than he was qualified for. Well, yeah, and people are like, do you know how to be president? And he's like, well, fuck no, but I'm going to do it. And then he <laughs> got there, it. and he's like, how do I do this shit? Yeah. Oh, 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 decisions? No. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I don't want any decisions. I just no. wanted the house. 
I just yeah, exactly. <laughs> I find the nice furniture in the paintings. Uh, so that's yeah. I mean, what do you make of James Buchanan as, well, as a president? It's I it's mean, a problem that he's followed by Lincoln, like one of the top five greatest of all time, basically. So yeah, I don't like either one of them to be honest no. with you. I'm not like a Lincoln fan. No, um, just it's clever clever marketing i feel like made oh yeah him way cooler with everybody than he should have been because yeah. i mean still responsible for so much death yeah and actually also a horrible racist piece of shit because while he freed slaves he definitely did not think they were equal to the white man right so you know abraham lincoln was at his core a very very good self-marketer yeah so yeah um and and yeah, had a kick ass hat and that whole yeah. thing with the vampires. You know. Oh yeah, that that really helped him, <laughs> you know. And and that uh, song about him going to a gay bar. Oh man, that was oh that shit, was I so haven't cool. heard that. Have you not? Yo, I'm gonna, to... I'm gonna take you to the gay bar. Do you remember that one? I'm gonna have yeah. to check that out. <laughs> yeah, they're dressed as Lincoln throughout the whole thing. It's hilarious. Well, uh, yeah. So Buchanan, though, as far yeah. as thing goes, he stirred the shit pot on his yeah. way out on purpose. Yes, just because of he could, I guess. It's um, crazy. I gotta, I gotta go. Um, let's like a ninety-eight on him because <sighs> was so many people. Oh yeah, and and it's no matter for, how you shake the Civil War. I mean, obviously, like you know, tensions were building, stuff, states' rights, all of this. If he'd have been a better president, it might not have happened. If he would have been better early on and been like, yeah. oh, you know what, maybe slavery isn't a good idea. Let's see yeah. how we could uh, work yeah. to phase this out. Maybe yeah. it never had a roadmap. Yeah. yeah. But you no, know, he was like, yeah, obviously it's okay. <laughs> I'm not getting involved. <laughs> States' rights, etc. Yeah. I feel like if he'd been just a little bit more decisive, and he could, because when he was decisive with his veto power, he was stopping all sorts of shit from happening. Uh, good stuff, good typically. Shit. Yeah, usually <laughs> good shit. But, like, he had the ability to be decisive, but when it came time for, like, really important stuff, he did not want to know about it at all. So, yeah. as bad as Andrew Jackson was, his mentor, who killed people and was completely batshit crazy, this guy was one of the original careerist politicians who just wants power for the sake of power and when he gets it he is completely inept well and it's the pursuit of it that i think yeah. helped continue to stir up like the fact that i don't know the civil war kills me because it's like brothers people yeah. neighbors yeah and and how, what the hell do you do when war breaks out you're the general store guy which one are you like yeah you just what the hell do i do now <laughs> yeah do i up shop and leave do i serve people do i say yeah it's like it was, and it was just his politicianing that stirred that, yeah, and kept it brewing. Yep. So he yeah, he, part of the bubbling brewing under the part. He's maybe one of the early on bubbling brewing hate under the surface of American culture all these years. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, so his inactivity led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people, probably the continued mistreatment or and deaths of many hundreds of thousands of slaves, um, and the shake-up of the, com the country that led to the eventual assassination of Lincoln, 
you know, because Lincoln was seen as the guy that brought in the abolition of slavery and all that. Whereas if Buchanan had actually put, tipped his his toe in the water, maybe Lincoln would have had a full term in office, really, and not been assassinated the way he was. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I we've had an incredible week this time around. We've had a guy who has stoked the flames of anti-Semitic and racist hatred across the world for decades. And then we've got a guy who was so career-driven, but so bad, that he basically fucked America for decades, you know? Um, and I, it's going to be difficult to top these people, but gosh darn it, we're going to try. I have uh, a couple in mind. I have a few in mind as well. <laughs> we spoke about it before the podcast. I did not want to cover him, but his day is coming. He knows who he is and his hundreds of millions of dollars. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny because it's like that sort of thing with the spreading of misinformation that that gentleman may be doing. Um, yeah. That I, it's, I don't know. It trips me out because it creates this culture or situation where people are pointing to, oh, you got to watch what books they're trying to ban. But then when you ban some shit that does bad things like Turner Diaries, <laughs> yeah, they're like, see, you can't let them do that. And yeah. You absolutely should be buying that. Have you read that shit? It's terrible. But uh, I feel like that's the type of information that he's doing is like the innocent yeah. protecting of bad. Like the... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. We, we will discuss this person in future. If you're listening now, you probably worked out who it is, but his time is coming. We just didn't want to do it just yet. We're in the middle of stuff. Things are shifting. We don't want to anger people. We don't want to do anything without the full story. This may develop. But for now... Um, James Buchanan, uh, the worst president in American history, probably. I don't think there's too many other candidates. And um, who? What was the name of your guy again? Uh, William Luther Pierce the Third. Wow. Okay. William. I remember that one. That was amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably the um, Che Guevara of the extreme right. Um, in, in the United States for 30 plus years. Uh, so that's our show for this week. I've had a lot of fun researching Buchanan. Just amazing at how bad he was at his job. Makes me feel better about what, everything I do because he was so <laughs> shit at what he did. You know, I'm like, oh my God, I'm actually quite good at the stuff I do, uh, you know? So yeah, and your guy just led you down a bunch oh. of rabbit holes. Oh yeah, well it got weird because like I'm always interested in conspiracy theory shit. So yeah. I end up, watching stuff and going man i feel like if somebody turned the camera on me they could be like look he was associated with these people and those people and it's like well but not like that way yeah <laughs> I, exactly. I was just kind of learning shit not exactly hanging out with them yeah and I, I... sometimes like when you want freedom and you're talking political issues and stuff you're at um a rally or whatever and everything's yeah. normal and cool. And then all of a sudden, radical people show up and you're like, shit. Yeah, getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, yeah, you didn't go there for that. I I, I get that, yeah. And um, really the lesson here is um, a lot of it is about reaction to things. So that's, I think, the overall theme of this. Like this, your guy um, was he reacted to the shift in American society in a completely negative way and went the opposite end of the spectrum. Instead of trying to approve rights for more people, improve society for the poorer, 
the marginalized different sections of society. He went the opposite way. He's like, no, fuck him. And James Buchanan, his reaction to the shifting sands of American culture, I mean, slavery, was to just bury his head in the sand and yeah. in some circumstances actually not help and actually go against the the kind of the the abolitionists. So the story, I guess, here is if you do find yourself in a position to make a positive difference, and it might not always be obviously positive, first of all, do your research, I think. Look into the potential of what you're getting involved with, but also, you know, try and make a decision that's going to help a bunch of people because these guys didn't they served their own means and it eventually was their downfall but that's our show thank you so much for tuning in if you guys want to follow us on social media our um, instagram is at history's greatest idiots our twitter is at greatest idiots if you want to become a patreon go to www.patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots and until next time uh derek would you like to say goodbye please goodbye everybody Goodbye, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Take care now. Bye.